Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan, and it's good to be back with you again today. And we're going to take a look at why now is an opportunity time to acquire even more investment properties at a discount. With us is Jim Rimley, who is an active investor and leads one of the largest real estate firms in the state of Oregon, closing over 3,000 transactions a year and over $1.4 billion in sales volume a year with just over 220 active brokers. So Jim, take us into the show and share an experience that helped you to be who you are today. Probably my the biggest form of experience was my first job, which was working for an immigrant family that owned a Chinese restaurant. The gentleman's name was Henry Yi. And Henry, when he owned this restaurant, he had immigrated from China. I thought he was about 70. I, I learned later that I, I just thought of him as being 70. I think he was really in his 50s or 60s. But uh, artist working family had ever met, seen. Uh, they all work from sun up to sundown every single day. And uh, what was interesting as I worked for him for, for 10 months is that he was there and he would show you every single thing, how he wanted it done. So he was very hands-on with the business. And then when I left and went on to other things, years later, he opened, and remember he was older when I met him, he opened a chain of video stores, very successful chain of video stores. So very entrepreneurial. And it was just a great learning lesson to watch that kind of work ethic in practice. And it was always something that had stayed with me is that really hard work pays off. Yeah. Well, interesting. Well, I had been in the real estate, I mean, in the restaurant business myself, and it is uh, morn till night yeah. <laughs> occupation. <laughs> So I see you didn't follow in his footsteps in that regard anyway, but did learn a work ethic from him. Well, Jim, talk to us about your philosophy in terms of the 20-year slow wealth plan. Yeah, so someone got the real estate business at the age of 19. I was uh, really coached by one of my friends that said, Jim, you know, the hardest way to make a million dollars in real estate is selling it. (laughs) So really, well, I'm selling real estate. So what's the (laughs) easiest way to make a million dollars in real estate? He said, owning it. And I never forgot that. And it was a great life lesson for me. And uh, shortly thereafter, I started my investing career. And what I learned over time and, and my experience was that a lot of realtors, but a lot of people in general that are entrepreneurs or business owners, really don't have the old fashioned, uh, you know, I'm going to work for a company for 30 years and have a retirement for myself. So those things have just kind of gone away, pensions, even 401ks today, it's probably not enough to comfortably retire for most people. So we kind of have to build our own retirement. We have to be really proactive about it. So I created this 20-year plan, which is really simple. And it's the idea that if we can just, um, as an entrepreneur or business owner, if we could just set a goal of buying one investment property a year, and I know that's an ambitious goal for some. And for some of you, you might have to maybe make this two to three years for your first one, and then it'll get a little bit easier after that. But first year you buy a property, and let's assume that property is worth, you know, I'm on the West Coast, so prices are a little bit more expensive here. So in my market, a property might be 400000 In the Midwest, it might be 200000 But let's just assume it's a $300,000 property, just to kind of give you round numbers. So I make this, I buy this property for $300,000 year one. Year two, I'm going to do it again. And I put this on a 20-year mortgage, by the way. Year two, I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again. Every year thereafter, I'm adding one property to my portfolio. So statistically, every 10 years, property and real estate doubles in value. It has since 
that's been measured. Now let's let's assume now that it so that would be it would double twice in value, but let's assume it doesn't. Let's assume there's something around a great recession event. You know, we're going into a recession. I don't think it's a great recession, but there's a recessionary event, and we only double our our value once over 20 years. Highly unlikely, but let's assume that happens. So now you get to year 21, and you now have that first property you purchased was on a 20 year mortgage. Now that property's paid off, and now I'm going to reverse. And go the other way, but now I'm in the retirement cycle. So now that property is now worth six hundred thousand dollars, and I sell that. Now I have six hundred thousand, and I, the next year I sell the next one. So most of us could retire pretty easily on six hundred thousand dollars a year, right? And when I say this, and people are in my classes, they say, "But is it really doable?" I always say, "I'm living proof it's doable. I'm no different than anyone else. I'm a college dropout." But what ha- what has to happen is you have to build your business plan around this concept that I'm buying one property a year. It's not around what what it's going to take to pay my bills or what some arbitrary goal is. It's just that I need that twenty five percent, which is generally the down payment. So twenty five percent of three hundred thousand would be somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy seventy five thousand dollars. I got to have that money and be available to me to buy my property every year. And that's my my goal. If I can do that, and it, it does get easier over time because you start building wealth pretty quickly. Yeah, well, certainly a very, a very workable plan that really essentially anybody could put into place and into practice. One thing that surprises me actually about uh, real estate brokers, which I'm, I'm a licensed broker myself, but how few real estate brokers are investing in real estate. Yes, uh, it it Very never true. ceases to astound me uh, that uh, most people who work in this industry aren't the least bit interested in investing, and as you well know, a real estate brokerage is just a job, and yep. it it is never going to develop well. But your plan is very doable, and it is one of the most risk free ways and means of developing wealth uh, for a retirement plan. So I don't really know. I mean, it is also a way and a means that would be in just about anybody's reach as long as you have, you know, a reasonable income to get your down payments there. Yeah. Well, you not only invest in single family homes, you also invest in RV parks. Is that correct? Yes. Just yes. closed one last week, actually. Okay. Well, tell us about your transition from this uh, slow plan of one property a year to going into RV parks. Yeah. So I happen to grew up in a small town in Oregon. And one of my agents, I owned an office in the small town. One of my agents happened to list RV park just coincidentally. And this RV park had been originally a drive-in movie theater and it had converted it into an RV park. And so I had actually gone to the drive-in movies there as a kid. So I was really kind of had a nostalgia for it. So I went over there, looked at the property, fell in love with it. And uh, actually people think about investors, they often think that they're not going to make an emotional decision about their investing. <laughs> That's not true. People all the time make emotional decisions about investing, just like they do anything else. So I made an emotional decision. I bought this property never having owned an RV <laughs> or knowing anything about the RV park industry, I bought this RV park. And just as a kind of a side note to this, when I bought this park was 2006, uh, kind of the height of, you know, before the, the Great Recession. Right. And I could see in my own market because I was measuring, you know, gross round multipliers and cap rates. And I knew that we were at the precipice. I could sense it because mm-hmm. we were so out of line with, out of whack with what, the normal, you know, number should be. Right. So I use this as an opportunity to transition. I sold off 13 different properties. I had 80 doors at that time. I sold 13 properties off and I 
1031 into this RV park. The beauty of RV parks is that they're very recession friendly because inside an RV park, you have two classes of people that are living there or staying there. You have people that are staying there in multi-million dollar coaches, they call them, and it literally could be a million or even $2 million. And then you have people staying in travel trailers that are there by necessity because they can't afford to pay rent anywhere else. So you have kind of two different types of people in there and you kind of win on either spectrum, right? The other thing you have as an advantage with RV parks is that you have basically an apartment complex and a hotel in the same property because your apartment complex, so to speak, is what we call your monthly guests. Those are the people that are staying there on a monthly basis. And most RV parks have some number of monthly guests. And if you strategize it right, you're going to have enough monthly guests to basically cover your costs and expenses of mortgages and employee costs. Then on the other side, you have this these open areas where you might have 20 or 30 sites that are more overnight or weekly sites where you're making really your money because those are going to be at a premium. You're going to be getting three or four times what you're getting on a monthly side on a per site basis. So there's a lot of opportunity for income growth if you're managing it correctly. It is, it's unique and it's fun and it's a different kind of industry, but I like it because it's the hospitality industry. But back to the story, on the, on the 13 properties that I that I used to 1031 into this property. I, even though as a real estate broker, you're right, a lot of real estate brokers don't understand as much as they should all the nuances of buying investment property. I thought I knew 1031s and I had done a ton of them before. But what I didn't realize was that when I closed my first property in that 13 chain, it started my clock. That started the clock. And yeah. that clock started in all those 13 other properties that I put into the same oh. 1031. I wasn't smart enough to separate them out. But I found out on the, I closed that $2 million transaction on the 180th that could not have closed it the next day. And yeah. I got really lucky and able to, was able to pull that off. But <laughs> wow. a yeah. lesson about, I have multiple 1031s to separate them out. So my clocks are all ticking at the same time. So that was a little lesson I learned. But that was, that's how I bought my first RV park. Well, that had to be stressful just in conjunction with the 1031. Yes, it was. Because <laughs> that could, that could have messed up the whole deal there. Yeah. Well, this, what you said, you had made an emotional decision. And, and I like how you said we always do. I mean, people tell me, well, we're, we're making these decisions based purely upon the math. And, and I'm going like, we're emotional people, whether we want to admit it or not. So how did that first deal go for you? You didn't know anything about it. You just stepped into it. And well, it clearly was an emotional move. How did it go? Well, one of the things that I did right was the gal that owned it was 84 years old. She'd owned it for 20 years. And she, I made a deal with her that I would give her $50,000 of non-refundable earnest money, but I wanted to work with her side by side for 30 days to see if I actually wanted to close this transaction. So I put $50,000 at risk. But during that first three days, I got to keep all the money. So any profit that came in was going to be my money. But she got $50,000 non-refundable. So it was a win-win for both. And she got a potential buyer. Market was completely different at that moment for RV parks. The market was not great for RV parks at that time. Today, it's like a booming, booming business. But so when I went in, I got 30 days of training and I found out what was being done right, what I perceived was being done wrong. And I was able to kind of identify what are the opportunities that I can bring to this park to make it much, much better and really build the business quite quickly. And every RV park, like every hotel that you buy, has a niche. A niche that you're serving, it's because it's a hospitality business. If you're going to buy a hotel, you don't have some kind of niche. Like what? what's the geographic area you're serving? Does it have a pool? Does it have breakfast? Does it have this or that? What are, what are the unique things about this park? It's not just, I just have this park. 
it's got to be, I'm selling something around this park. So what I decided to do was to use the uh, manage that the park naturally had, which was the fact that they had left the giant 50-foot tall screen there from the days when the movies were running. And so I went back in and I bought a digital projector and didn't know anything about this either. I uh, had it shipped from Europe <laughs> and I set up a wireless uh, FM transmitter and we started doing, and I got a, a license from the Motion Picture Association to start showing movies at my RV park. So our hook became, we're a drive-in, we have, we're home of the drive-in movie experience. That's our tagline. Well, and that got national attention really, really fast. So we were on the cover of, you know, the, the biggest magazines and you know, we we're, were in all the major publications. I got interviewed, 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 interviewed. And so we just kind of went crazy because we had that right niche, that right hook, you know, okay. so it definitely made a difference uh, in the marketing. So people that are buying RV parks look at it for an idea of what's my book going to be and how am I going to improve this to add value? The challenge was some people buying these parks as they treat it like they're buying an apartment complex, but it's not an apartment complex. And they look at it from a cap rate perspective. And right. so they'll come in and they'll, they'll buy it and they'll be like a 5% cap, which I would never buy uh, an RV park at a 5% cap or a 6% cap. And the reason is because you're buying a business, not a passive kind of hands-off real estate investment. So I buy a lot of those too. I bought a duplex last week too. So when I buy a duplex, I hand it off to my property management team and I'm done with it. I'm not touching it yet. But with an RV park, I'm actively involved in the management. And the key thing is I'm managing employees, which is always the hardest part of any business. Definitely. So if I'm going to manage employees and manage a business, which is what this is, it's a, it's a hotel apartment complex kind of hybrid, then I can't have a 5% cap to do that. I've been making a lot more money than 5%. So, you know, whether that's 10% or 15% or whatever the number is, you got to look at it from a whole different lens than just a strict cap rate analysis. It's got to be a different different animal. Well, that was really brilliant to use that screen. So she had had that there all that time, I guess. Yep. Like 20 years that she yep. had owned that. Yeah. And, and had never thought of doing that. Well, in turning that into that, getting the digital projection... Uh, what you do for audio? Uh, we put in an audio trans, uh, FM transmitter. So it plugs into the screening system and then oh, okay. it transmits out to the radio so people can listen to it on their FM dial. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that would certainly be a unique, <laughs> unique approach. Not many people are going to have a, a projection screen to work from. But I really like your suggestion there of really finding the hook in conjunction with that. I mean, the reason I'm asking you all these questions is really kind of a personal thing because I've got an appointment with a RV seller here this weekend, Friday, yeah. in fact. Oh, great. So it certainly is a business, no doubt about that. It is not just something you're going to turn over to a property manager. No. You are going to be much more involved in the management. Well, this was your first RV park. What was the biggest lesson you take from that that first operation. The biggest lesson, which I've been continually learning and reminding myself, is when you're buying an RV park specifically, you want to look deeply at the infrastructure of the park. People look at an RV park and they think, oh, it's simple. It's just a pad and you got a pedestal, you got a sewer line, you got a water line. How hard could this be? Well, they believe you. <laughs> it can be very difficult. So you got to look at, you know, what kind of Wi Fi is in the park and what's going to take to get a decent Wi Fi system in there because it's mandatory now. You need to look at the water lines, how old they are, 
the sewer lines, how old they are, how deep they are, because if the owner put those things in and didn't go deep enough, you got, you know, $100,000 pound machines running over these lines all the time, and you're going to continue to break lines. And looking at that electrical cable systems and seeing the age of them, when am I going to need to replace them? So really doing a due diligence is really, really important. And then the other side of it is looking at the expansion possibilities of how can I add income to this to the bottom line. So for me, I, when we bought this particular park, this one had three acres next to it. So we have that ability to expand. And so we've been working on that uh, over the last couple of years, actually, to do an expansion. So expansion and looking at in additional in, income streams as well. There's lots of different income streams that could flow from an RV park, one of them being laundromats, which we have. Another one being a store on site, which we also have propane sales. There's another one. Coin-op vending machines can be another one. So there's a lot of like ancillary streams of income that you can plug, you know, plug more into that can help add to the bottom line. Oh, wonderful. Well, tell us what community banking is uh, and uh, about those community banking relationships. So community banks are banks in every city in the country that are really, it's a bank that is, could be credit union or just could be a community bank. It's basically your local bank uh, that is not associated with a major, I would call it franchise, but a national chain like U.S. Bank or Wells Fargo or one of the big ones. So these community banks are different in the, in the sense that they have a local depositors who are bringing in their deposits, and then they have a responsibility to take the money that's been deposited and reinvest it to the degree that they can turn a profit for the bank and their shareholders. And they are much, much more likely to invest um, that money with local folks that have good credit and good reputations. So in the beginning of your investing career, you might have to be really creative and do owner carries. I did a lot of owner carries when I was first getting in the investing because I didn't have, you know, I didn't have, I had good credit, but I didn't have enough credit. We'll put it that way. So I did a lot of owner carries, but then I graduated and I started having enough money to do a regular bank loans. And I went to traditional banks, but there's a limit with traditional banks. So the limit you get with a traditional bank, which is really Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac rules, the secondary market where all these banks, when they do a loan, they're immediately reselling that loan to the government, basically, and they package it and sell it on the stock market. So the limit is generally 10 loans. And once you get to the 10 loan limit, you're kind of capped out. So uh-huh. you can have some strategies to get around it. You know, your wife could do 10 and you could do 10. You kept, you know, those kinds of things. But it's, you know, it gets more and more, more of a struggle. So what happens with larger investors, once you hit the, because we have a goal, a minimum goal of buying 20 properties over 20 years. So you're going to hit it in the first 10 years, you're going to be capped out. Yeah. What do I do that? So then you need to look at what I call more, what's called a portfolio loan. The portfolio loan generally is where you're going to go to this, these local community banks and say, hey, do you have a portfolio loan program? They're going to say, yes, of course. That's where they're loaning their own money to local investors, and they're not reselling these loans on the secondary market, which allows them to and you to have more than 10 loans. So I have relationships like that, and it's very key. The other benefit of it is that once you establish the relationship with, a, with your local banker and you have a portfolio loan agreement, is that I'm delivering to them every six months to every year all my financial data. So my tax returns, my updated balance sheets, my updated, you know, everything that the income statements, everything that they need from me. So I'm doing this basically once a year. But then then when I go to get a loan, I'm already pre I'm pre-qualified all this time. So as long as I have the down payment, which is still 25%, I can qualify. I'm immediately qualified basically for any loan I'm going to go buy. So I'm effectively a cash buyer in most cases, right? I'm only limited by my down payment. 
when I want to get this set up. And you might think, geez, that seems like it's impossible to get there. Believe me, college dropout, just like you put my pants on one leg at a time. Every one of you can get there. It's just step by step incrementally getting there. But having Fine. that community banking relationship eventually is really kind of almost like a golden ticket to print money because yeah. you can then go out and buy properties really rapidly and that's fast closings generally two to three weeks. And, and it just makes everything so much smoother once you, once you get to that level. Well, community banks are disappearing. We lost our last one in my little community about to, about two years ago. So they're a vanishing species. Yeah, it's tougher to find. Yeah, we do have some credit unions. Just... uh. Real quickly, tell us what it is you have to offer our audience and how they can take advantage of that. So I offer coaching specifically for real estate brokerage owners and real estate agents to like grow their real estate businesses so they can start participating in buying investment properties. So the coaching that I have, uh, we have something called the PATH Performance Coaching Program. It's what I have my own agents go through. But thousands of agents across the country have taken it as well. Just my little claim to fame, my little company, which I have you know, as you mentioned, we're doing a billion foreign business, 3,000 transactions last year. We're in a population base of 80,000. So it's not like we're in Atlanta or New York or LA, no. but we're ranked in the top 500 companies in America. So our company is competing at this super high level and our agents are, are some of the most productive agents in the country in our little small town. I don't take credit for all of it, but I do take credit for some of it uh, because a lot of them have been through my training. And the training will really unlock your true potential and really get you in a position where you can earn, you can get your maximum earning potential so you can start buying more properties and build wealth. So we give every person that comes to the website, they can get two weeks of free coaching just to try it out, take it for a test drive. And what it includes once you're in the system is 20 weeks of coaching when people join. 20 weeks is every day for 20 weeks. So every single day you're with me. I'm coaching you. And then from there, we also do three live coaching sessions every single week. So a lot of content, hundreds and hundreds of downloads, all kinds of social media assets, and uh, just a lot of material. Sounds great. Well, Jim, interest rates have risen considerably this year, and the projections are they're going to continue to rise at least a little bit more. So what is good about interest rate increases? Well, what's good is that the market dynamics changing in favor of buyers. So what's happened, you know, if you, if you were going to compare the buying experience itself, like if you're a buyer mm-hmm. last year at this time, if you were a buyer, in all likelihood, every single home you looked at, you're going to have multiple offers. You're probably going to have to waive inspectors or waive appraisals. You're going to put in a non-refundable bonus money. You're probably going to have to do a escalation clause, which means you're going to pay more than the list price of the house. So as a buyer, the buyer experience last year was not that great. Now you flip over to this year, what a change, right? Now we're in December and uh, the market's completely flipped over on sale because of interest rates. Now the buying experience is different. So now buyers are fewer and far between. You're probably going to be able to come in and not just pay full price, but be able to discount the price, be able to negotiate something off the price. Sellers are much more likely to negotiate on repairs on inspections and be able to do non-refundable bonus money, your sales going to be contingent on the appraisal. It's a much, much better buying environment. And you're able to buy a much, much better house than you could have last year for the same amount of dollars. There's also a huge advantage. And people don't look at it this way, but this is the advantage. If Just to give you some numbers, if I was looking at a house that was $400,000 last year, then I was forced into a multiple offer situation, maybe go to $440,000 just because I had to buy, buy it. And I locked my interest rate in, let's say we were at 3.5% last year. Now my payment is set based on that $450,000 price for life, for 30 years, that's what it is. Today, I come in, same property, 400000 but now I'm able to negotiate it down maybe to three seventy five because the market's changed with inspections and everything else. I get down to three seventy five. 
Now, my interest rate is 7%, which is like, yeah, wrenching. But here's the difference. The difference is I have the ability in a year or two to refinance that and get that price down. But now my equity is much greater because I'm, I'm $75,000 ahead on equity today rather than the buyer who paid four fifty dollars or four yeah. forty. You know, So the, you have an instant equity build and you have the ability to actually reduce your payment over time where this buyer doesn't. I'm a buyer in this market. And it, what you want to follow is Warren Buffett's rule. I mean, you want to be greedy, greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. Right now, there's tremendous fear in the market. And that is an opportunity. That should just be like a big white letters over you know, your house that says opportunity. Yeah. This is like a green light for buyers to go out there and find great buys. I, I bought two last week. Well, wonderful. Well, Jim, it's been a pleasure having you with us today. Enlightened investors, thank you for being with us and join us again in our next episode. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com. 